0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. In Jane Austen's uh, classic novel, Pride and Prejudice, we have uh, several sisters, but two are prominent to the story. The oldest sister, Jane, who is famous for being beautiful, and then Elizabeth, or Eliza Bennett, who is um, Uh, The wise, discerning, kind of active. She's beautiful, but she's not famous uh, for it. And uh, Jane is invited to the home uh, of a man that she's interested in by his two sisters. And her mother, because of some foolishness, doesn't send her in a carriage, but on a horse, she gets caught in a rainstorm and gets sick, too sick to leave the house. So as she's sick in the house, her sister, Eliza's, worried about her, she's concerned, and so she walks three miles in the muddy roads after this rainstorm, and when she gets to Netherfield, she's a mess from the mud of the road, Uh, but we read that her complexion is made beautiful by the exercise, and Mr. Darcy, who happens to be there to her surprise, sees her in a new way he'd seen her before at the ball and wasn't really interested in her but when she steps into the room kind of windblown with this bright complexion and the brightness of her eyes he suddenly sees her in a different way it's an interesting thing when we look at some of the root words that hebrew uses because hebrew is a very um, simple language it's a very Um, small language. uh, There are very few words and they're mostly reflected um, in the experience of nature and the agrarian society in which they lived. And so these words like uh, glory uh, are uh, words that are used to talk about the reflective brilliance of a stream as it shines. If you've ever seen a stream in the sun, it's got all these Magnificent colors of the rainbow that shine and gleam up, and it looks like jewels on the water. And, uh, and, and there are several other kind of natural roots to this word, um, this shining glory. Another one is the beauty of complexion, the beauty of complexion um, that we read about, say, in the Song of Solomon. And uh, this beauty of a complexion, the beauty of the the shining of the river is a great place for us to start when we think about this glory of the Lord, this beauty of the Lord that Isaiah is trying to get across to us. He's doing everything he can to try to convey to us that the Lord is beautiful, right? That his ways are beautiful, that his life is beautiful, and that those who uh, respond to him Those who participate in the life of the Lord are made beautiful through his glory, that he shares this beauty with us. He shares this glory with us, and it reflects on us, and then we reflect it back onto the world. And so that is what uh, the prophet Isaiah is saying to us. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So this is the sun coming up. This is the sun on the stream. This is the power of God that's reflecting onto the people and that the people are reflecting back when they participate. His glory will be seen upon you and the nation shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. So we read that all of the nations are going to respond. When we read nations, what he's saying is all the peoples of the world, which is very important because sometimes uh, when we read the scriptures and when uh, the Jewish people read the scriptures, they thought, oh, this is just for us. This is our promise. But God's purpose, his promise is for all nations, for all people. And the, the nation of Israel was supposed to reflect the beauty of the Lord and make it attractive for people to come and to see it. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be reflecting this beauty of the Lord so that it's made attractive for the nations, for all peoples. And we read that even kings would respond to the brightness of this rising, so the kings of all the nations. And then we read that because of this, because of God's beauty, then the wealth of the nations comes. And we see now a a prophetic um, uh, kind of um, telling of what is going to happen when Christ comes and perfectly reveals the beauty and uh, glory of God, right? Christ perfectly reveals Um, makes known, manifests the beauty of God. And we read that even these kings will come and they'll bring gold and frankincense, right? So here 800 years before the wise men come, the prophet Isaiah is saying they are going to bring gold and frankincense uh, to the Lord, right? And he says, I will beautify my beautiful house. He is building for himself a house and this is the promise that we see over and over and over again, right? The Lord is building a house He's building a house for his people. <clears throat> At first, we thought it was the tabernacle, and then we see that it's the temple, right? And for a long time, the nation of Israel thought that it was the temple, but they weren't seeing that happen, right? They didn't see it happen even after um, the temple is rebuilt. They see that it's uh, it's not um, receiving the, the glory of the Lord in his presence the way that it did of old. But we know that his house is built upon our lord and savior jesus christ and that we um, come to dwell in him and he in us right when we participate in his life when we participate in the sacraments we become a house for god and this place becomes a house for the lord and he beautifies it by his presence and by his glory so he makes us beautiful so that we can shine forth his beauty that's the promise that's given and again it's fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so there's so many ways that we see that the the angels tell us right the angel Gabriel tells us and he tells uh you know um, Elizabeth and Zechariah and he tells John the Baptist and he tells Mary and Joseph and he tells the shepherds he tells all these faithful of Israel right so all these faithful remnants of Israel um hear about Jesus and they come and they see him and they see him at his birthplace and uh in the cave, right? This, um, this dwelling of animals, right? Um, tradition tells us that it's this carved out cave where they would often keep animals, a kind of a stable, uh, right? And so um, that's where he is born, and that's where the nation of Israel comes. Those faithful Jews come and worship him, but this seems to be some time after. Mary and Joseph now have found a house, right? And so they've gone to a little bit more of a permanent place to live, but they're staying in Bethlehem, and then these wise men come. When we read wise men, this magi that we read about, um, we should be thinking immediately back to Daniel, to the promises of Daniel. You'll remember that the prophet Daniel um, is in Babylon, right? And in Babylon, he becomes head of the magi, right? This is this is the group of people that he's head of, and you remember that these magi that he's head of are kind of um, Uh, You know kind of college professors if you will Right? these are the guys that are reading all the books that are supposed to know about the natural world They're supposed to know about stars and all this kind of stuff Um, But then they're also supposed to know um, You know any sacred writings and they're supposed to be able to interpret dreams and they're also kind of princes, right? They have great um, power and authority And we we read that Daniel has great power and authority, right? He's made a satrap. He's made a a president, if you will, of all of Babylon, right? Um, And so he's got great power. So these magi are kind of, um, you know, college professors and kings at the same time. They've got um, armies that they command. They've got great peoples that they command. It's really important for us to understand because... um, you know, sometimes our iconography um, doesn't do everything that it needs to do for us. When we, you know, um, uh, you know iconographically represent the magi, uh, you know, we see, you know, three dudes and a couple of camels. But these are kings. They're not traveling by themselves. They're traveling with armies. They're traveling with armies. They're, and so we, it's really important for us to understand Because we read that Herod is is afraid. Well, Herod was always afraid because Herod is right in the middle, right? He is a a vassal king. So he is um, under the authority of the Romans. He's only allowed to be king because the Romans allow him, but that he's gotta have the support of the people. He's gotta also have their support. And so his father had had converted to Judaism and he'd given all this money to the temple to get the people's favor. He knew that's where their heart was. So he had rebuilt the temple and he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He's spending their tax dollars very generously, right? I'm going to take your money and then I'm going to build these wonderful things. But he's afraid, and we read what? We read that Jerusalem is afraid, right? So when they come, right, Herod is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The only reason that Herod would be that afraid and that all of Jerusalem would be that afraid is if these aren't just three dudes on a camel, these are an army. Of magi holy powerful rich learned men right that knew the scriptures from the time of Daniel and had been waiting 500 years since Daniel had shared the scriptures and built this great group of magi and they had been waiting and they've been looking at the stars and they perceived the glory of God they perceived the glory of God and they come to worship this glory And this is very important now because they are truly Gentiles. They are from the nations. So now Gentiles come and they worship the Lord. This is the epiphany. This is the manifestation, the making known of the promises of God to the whole world. That's the importance of epiphany, the importance of the Magi. These are Gentiles who have recognized the promises of God and they have come. The other thing that we don't always interpret or show that well in, uh, in the epiphany is these magi. We show them standing or kneeling usually. The scripture says they fell down and worshiped him, right? This is what we need to see. We need to see that these kings, these magnificent kings that everybody else was afraid of fall down and they worship Christ, they worship this baby and they give him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The fathers say, uh, especially Hilary of Poitiers says, gold for a king, frankincense for God, because incense was burned to gods, and myrrh for the preparation of his body, for his preparation for burial. So he's a king, he is God, and he will die for his people. And this is proclaimed by these Magician kings from the east. And so the question is, uh, what, what do we do about it, right? Um, because, you know, St. Paul says that we have a, a, a role to play in, in, again, showing this glory, showing this power, this grace to the world, and that is the role of the church, Right? Our lives are supposed to reflect this glory of God that he has shown on us, right? He shows his glory upon us. He gives us his spirit. He feeds us with Holy Communion. He washes us in baptism. He gives us love, right? We're encouraging one another, right? We're We're building one another up in love, right? That's what we're here to do. We're here to encourage and build one another up in love. Our lives and the way that we talk to one another and the way that we greet one another and the way that we share with one another is supposed to be an example to the world, right? The world is supposed to see us living together and say, oh, they love each other. They're so good to each other, right? And this is supposed to be a reflection then to the world of God's love. The thing that is absolutely true that, that we can't lose sight of is that God himself reveals himself to the world, right? It's, sometimes we think, oh, it's all up to us. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. We have a role to play, no question, because people can hear about the Lord, they can have an experience of him, and they can come to the church And then we can turn them off because of our pettiness and our bickering and our, um, you know, smallness, right? We can turn people off and say, I don't want to be a part of that. But the Lord reveals himself to them in dreams just like he did Joseph and Mary. He shows himself to the world. People get a taste. They get a hunger. And then when they come and they say, what is this? We're reflecting that glory back to them. And saying this is the love of God this is the beauty of the life of God that he has for you and this is the mystery the mystery of Christ right is the sacrament this is the the Eastern word for sacrament is mysterion, right mystery and we become fellow heirs and so Paul says it's been my job to tell the Gentiles about the mystery of Christ about his life about his glory about this beauty And then the church is reflecting that glory, that love back to them. It's kind of funny that he ends this little passage by saying, "Um, Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. Um, It's your glory. It's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? That he says that. Brings me back to Eliza Bennett. Did she go because it was what was expected of her? Her family tries to talk her out of it. Does she go because she's following the law? Because because the law told her you're supposed to care for your brother and sister? No. Why does she go? Because she loves her sister. She has a desire, a hunger to be with her and to care for her, right? does she fulfill the law when she does that? Absolutely. Does she do those good things that, that we like to see siblings do and other people do? Absolutely. But she does it out of the love for her sister. And the love for her sister compels her. And the love for the out of doors, the love for exercise, and the love for beauty. She says, I'll enjoy this walk. She goes and she gets enjoyment out of Showing her love and care for her sister and out of that activity out of that energy out of that that work that she does out of love the brilliance shines from her face Out of our love for one another out of our activity for one another the brilliance of God will shine upon our faces Blessed Epiphany.